Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good, Shad. Uh, I, it's apparently reached that point of the year where it could be like very, very hot or very, very cold, and I don't know which is which uh, <laughs> until fair. I step outside my, my home. Or you get malaria, so, that could be. The yes. <laughs> Brad, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. All right. We want to say thank you to everybody out there for joining us for this episode. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarAndElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code 4CornersPodcast. That's the number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast, to save 10% off your order. And for other shout-out, we go over to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Cologne. You know, Orlando Cologne was born... In San Juan, Puerto Rico, which I believe is the capital. But you know what street he's most familiar with, Chad? What's that? Bad Street, USA. Bad Street, USA. <laughs> that actually is a segue, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. We so didn't do Brad, any. What are we, didn't do any matches with him as Bad Street, actually. <laughs> That's yes. true. Did he have a mask so, as Bad Street? He did. Yeah. Because so he just like repurposed he, the Arachnaman. Oh wow! They, they probably did. Um, oh, wow. I, I, I guess because like he was kind of like given like a little bit of a push, he was known to uh, WCW people, so they would have probably recognized immediately that was Brad. So, just for everybody out there, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Brad Armstrong. Uh, we talked a, a little bit about him in a couple of matches that he had last week with Ted DiBiase, but we thought, you know, nobody talks about Brad Armstrong much, so we're going to talk about Brad Armstrong. Yeah. Um, and the biggest hurdle that I run into, and I know that this is unfair, but for a long time I had a hard time with Brad Armstrong because when I started watching in the late 90s, the only thing I knew Brad Armstrong for was I'd see him on WCW TV and he would never, ever, 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 ever win to the point he came to the ring wearing a shirt that said the Armstrong curse. Now, that's not but, fair. He did win on the weekend shows. I never saw him do it ever. Never once. But. And he, uh, um, he did earlier. win some matches when he was, I think he was BA in the No Limit Soldiers. And then oh, they gave him uh, that um, buzzkill gimmick when Russo came in. And I think he won some matches then. That was him? Yeah. Oh wow. I, I here's the thing. During in that era, I 
I tuned out of WCW so hard that I was just barely paying attention. It's um, it is a massive uh, blind spot for me stuff so. i mean he still did the russian leg sweep when he was with the no limit soldiers that's how you could tell it was him still oh well fair enough i guess um oh god the no limit soldiers i feel so bad for him being in with that that was did they did they include him in that only because like one he was actually a competent wrestler and did they need like a, a white guy for that i think they i think what they were doing with that is he was there to have at least one competent person in the <laughs> ring. That was my, yeah, that's my. Yeah. Because they tried to make it so that one of the one of the guys from that group, Swole, was a, they wanted to make something out of him, but he was a stiff and couldn't move yeah. and used the heart punch as his finish, so. Now, was, I, I know you guys just corrected me on this like two weeks ago, so. Ahmed Johnson was never in the No Limit Soldiers, right? He just became part of Harlem Heat? Uh, no, he was not in the No Limit Soldiers. He okay. he showed up randomly at some point when, when Stevie Ray and Booker T were feuding and feuded with Booker T over the rights to... Because he was Big T. There was Booker T and Big T. So they feuded over the rights to the letter T. And this is when and Midnight it, showed up, right? I don't remember. That it, sounds right. Yeah, that's what I thought. And also, I want to—I just want to say the one nice thing I can say about Ahmed Johnson is his pre-WWE ring name was the best ring name ever. Which one was that? Muadib. Muadib. Yes, getting his uh, Dune reference in there. Mm. I uh, wow. You know. The funny thing is that if that guy wasn't just so dreadful, like he actually, they actually probably would have made money on him. He probably would have been like a, a big deal because they kind of were positioning for that. And he got, he was getting over that he was just terrible. Yeah. To the point uh, where like you had guys like, like Farouk who, who was legit injured. And when he came back from the injury, we all, if people I think have heard the story, but, um, Mark Henry is basically saying how like he was <laughs> how Farouk was going to kill him basically. Ron Simmons was just going to like mess him up. Yeah, I think Teddy Long in his shoot called him a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to. It, I think it was a D'Lo Brown shoot that oh, involved the. It's, I'm a moke you. Um, when D'Lo said he he said to somebody, I'm going to hit you with that Mishinoku driver. He's like, no. You can't do that. That's Taka's move. He goes, you don't tell me what to do. I'll moke you. And he goes, and apparently, if I remember right, D'Lo said, shut up, man. You ain't going to moke anybody. Okay, so, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Matt. Mm-hmm. You had to watch their matches. Who would you rather watch? Would you rather watch Ahmed Johnson uh, fail at wrestling, or would you rather watch Tyrus fail at wrestling? Oh, God. I think I'd take Ahmed. <laughs> I actually probably would. Well, oh yeah, I guess I would. I would take. I would. <laughs> so that's a tough question. The reason why is because like there are stages of his career. Where, like when he was Ahmed Johnson in the WWF slash WWE, he wasn't good, but he was booked against like some really named talent. And he had like a presence to him and everything. And he had like gold where, dust to work with and stuff. Yes, and and Tyrus, kind of never was that 
had never had that presentation. And if you're talking about like modern day tires, it's only gotten worse. And it's like he's kind of like an embarrassment. Like he should not be actively working. I think um, I also think like if you take both <laughs> careers as a whole, I think aesthetically, I'd rather stare at Ahmed Johnson. Yes. A bunch of matches Although, than Tyrus. Yes. Although by the time he was like big T, he was kind of like he's kind of big and fat, right? Yeah, but I'd still I'd yeah. still rather watch. Because, like, Tyrus is just down. fucking ugly, and, like, Ahmed Johnson's at least, like, not ugly. Yeah. See, I don't think that Tyrus injured anybody, though. No, he did. He did? Okay. I've heard, I've heard, I don't know who it was, but, I, I mean, no one, no one that's ever worked with him has particularly good or positive things to say about him. Mm. I just, I don't remember um, hearing stories about working with him him injuring somebody i know swoggle hates his guts and swoggle like says very few bad things about anyone yeah swoggle doesn't like him and he doesn't like punk um well punk he but he has a legitimate reason to not like punk though yes yes uh why why doesn't forgive my ignorance why doesn't punk he... ghosted him when he left wwe hmm. and also they were hanging out in the back at one point, and he had gotten a new phone, and so he asked Punk, there's a mutual friend, he said, hey, I got a new phone, I lost uh, I lost her number, can I get that? And, like, Punk flipped out on him. And it's like, what? Why? And he's like, yeah, it was never the same after that. And then Punk left and ghosted him, and it's just like, you know, eh. And Swoggle's well liked because he's um he's Awesome Kong's son's godfather, isn't he? Oh, I didn't know that. Remember she said that <clears throat> in a shoot interview. She he came up and was like, Oh, that's my kid's godfather, like I love him. No, I don't remember that. I I have not seen all of her shoot, I've seen parts of it. So I'd have uh, to go find that. Same, I've only seen parts of it. I actually I, I would love to actually meet her because she seems like she's probably like in real life. She seems like she's probably like very nice. She threw yeah. a shoe at Scott Steiner in a Waffle House. I remember that from her <laughs> shoot. Well, look, sometimes I, I love Scott Steiner, but sometimes Scott Steiner needs a, a shoe thrown at him I, for his behavior. Especially if you're in a Waffle House. I mean, yeah. that's just kind of expected I'm, behavior. I'm pretty sure if you asked Scott Steiner, he wouldn't remember. But it's like, did you deserve? He's probably like, yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> My favorite, I, though, have you heard Petey Williams talking about him on Colt Cabana's podcast? It's hilarious. Oh, no. where where they were going to, um, they went the Cracker Barrel and then going to the gym? Yep, and, like, he's, like, he's, like, um, he's complaining that his chicken's too small and he wants bigger ones, and they're, like, going to the gym. He's, like, I'm going to drive the wrong way down this one-way street. And Petey's, like, <laughs> dude, what are you doing? And. Steiner goes, you know how long it's been since I had an accident? And he goes, that is not what I want to hear. I want to hear I've never had an accident, not how long it's been since I had one. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I he's should... talking like he's he's saying it's like pouring rain and Scott's doing like 100 miles an hour. And like he rented some like obscenely like fancy car, mm, like yeah. a Mercedes or something. Uh. If we have like a minute, yeah. that reminds me. I actually, I, should, I haven't posted the pictures on our Twitter, but I probably should. Uh -huh. But this weekend was actually like, um, actually a weekend full of wrestling. 
I can talk about one thing later if you want. But I Sunday I actually went. I drove like an hour away to like just outside of Baltimore mm-hmm. uh, for a convention. And this is like the fourth or fifth one of these conventions. They get modern wrestling stars and they get kind of like stars of like yesteryear, like you know classic stars. Yeah. And you can go and get a picture taken with them, obviously, if you pay, and you can get, or you can get like an autograph, like. And there were there actually was a couple of vendors there that were selling like wrestling merch. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some that was selling like T-shirts. There wasn't many T-shirts, but uh, much more stuff of like toys, like action figures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool, but there was actually like a pretty good amount of wrestling stars. Uh, we went with our daughter, who has a limited attention span. Um, and it was very warm on Sunday. It was like 80 degrees. The place was not really like ventilated. Oh god! Yeah. Uh, the smell and of wrestling was... fan bo. Yes, <laughs> I hate to be like that guy to like criticize wrestling fans because I am one, obviously lifelong wrestling fan. But I, I'm, I'm, I am neither heavy set, uh, nor do I um, like not showering. I, I like I shower every day, yeah. <laughs> and I use I use a good amount of deodorant. And a cologne. I put on some sort of cologne every day. I like smelling good. I like being clean. Other people apparently don't have that. Um, well, I know whenever I went to Ring of Honor shows, I always <laughs> felt like I had to come home and take a shower. Like, you probably B- did. B.O. would just like cling to you. Like sometimes oh. it wasn't so bad. Like sometimes you'd be in a section that was okay. And sometimes it was not yeah. okay. Yeah. I, I, I was behind a guy in line. And the smells I was smelling was awful. Like my wife, like after we left, we were there about a, we were there about an hour and a half. That was like ninety five percent of that was waiting in lines. Right. Um, and I was behind a guy, and there were other smells, but I was behind a guy that I told my wife, it's like there is only one smell that was wafting into my nose being behind that guy, and that was unwashed ass. <laughs> and I mean that like in the most literal sense possible. It's like yeah. that guy clearly had had one or more bowel movements and had not washed himself. Uh-huh. So it was not pleasant. Um, but I went because uh, I bought a ticket, both autograph and sign, uh, yeah. for Sting. It's Sting! It's Sting! Yep. So I – and my wife was very, very, um, very proactive. Like I had already bought the tickets – uh, yeah. But they this is and this is kind of bullshit at this company that did this is that when you got there it's like okay here's the general admission sting line yeah it's like I thought what I thought all of this was general admission and like oh no there was a fast pass line you had to basically pay twenty bucks more to get in the fast pass line oh that's bullshit that's that it is bullshit serve yes and I was I would have been like well whatever I'll wait but. Two things, like with a toddler, like her attention span is limited. Right. So that was, I, I could not wait two hours in line with her. Like she would not oh, have lasted right. that long. She would have been That's bored in tears. And the other thing is that they they specifically said to us, oh yeah, we're going to go through every one of the fast pass line before we get to the general admission line. And it's like, oh. okay, the fast pass line is like at least 100 people deep. Like yeah. I, that's not going to work either. So my wife was like, no. And she literally went and spent the 20 bucks getting me a fast pass ticket <laughs> so we yeah. wouldn't be there longer than we had to be i which is kind of sad because thunder rosa was there yeah and my wife 
knows someone who knows her. Like there's a woman who kind of runs some, uh, I think the photography and some, maybe some of the social media stuff for her, for Thunder Rose's San Antonio promotion mission. I think it's mission pro. Yeah. Mission pro. Yeah. So she, she runs with that and she knows Thunder Rosa. Um, I am going to try to get that woman on our show at some point in the, in the future, hopefully in the near Ooh. future. Um, so that would be really cool. So it'd be really, my wife was like, Oh, we, we should like get a photo with her and talk to her and be like, Hey, we know this person because yeah. she probably would have popped. She would have been like, Oh my God, you know that person? It's like, yes. Uh, but there was a lot of other like really, uh, really cool workers there. Uh, I only got sting, but the line for Britt Baker was actually like crazy long. Yeah. Uh, but there was Britt Baker. There was people like, uh, Swerve Scott, there was Sammy and Tay. Uh, there was Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett was there with Ming. <laughs> it's like, there was a bunch of people there that I kind of would have wanted to get a, an autograph or a photo. Wow. But again, we're trying to not... One, I was trying to not, not be there too, as long as I had to be. Yeah. Uh, and second, it's like I, I also didn't have money to... like. I paid bills like a week before. I did not have like mm-hmm. extra cash laying around to like spend 200 bucks on on autographs or pictures when we yeah. went the the who had lines and who didn't didn't make mm. sense to me it, it was odd mm. um because there well okay like the most recent convention i've been to it was the the wrestlers that were there like jerry lawler had a little bit of a line but um hangman page adam cole and Britt baker were all there and they all had they all had lines like mm. In me taking a break from the booth I was working, I didn't have enough time to actually get through the line to go see them. So um, that was a that was a heck of a thing. Um, but the one that Brad and I went to, the lines. It's uh, the best way I can put it, it. There was a weird ebb and flow to it. Just I think depending on when they arrived, right? That sound right, Brad? Yeah. Like Luger got there a little bit later, and as soon as he sat down, just boom, line. Because mm. um. <laughs> we, cause we hit that line as soon as it started building up. We were like, well, even if we have to wait forty minutes, it's better to be a couple better people to be back here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that one didn't move because Luger kind of took his time too. Like he wasn't rushing people. He was happy to talk to folks. Yeah. Uh, but like uh, yeah. Jimmy Hart had one of the bigger lines. Um, he likes to talk though. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Hart did. Malachi Black did. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I talked to Jimmy Hart for a while. And co- yeah, Coco, Coco, you had to pry off with a crowbar. crowbar. <laughs> yeah. mm. He was so happy to talk to you. Oh, yeah. He you like know? Coco would just would just go. And he if you if, even if you weren't in his line, he'd just start talking to you. Mm-hmm. You know who else is a uh, chatty? Mm. Sting. <laughs> That's I didn't. Awesome. I did not um, really have like a conversation with him just because uh, there was a lot of people in line. We're trying to get out of there, and my daughter, my daughter didn't understand. She's um she's very smart and she's very sweet usually a lot, a lot of the time, but she saw me taking a picture and Sting like put his arm around me, and he's there. He's a lar- one a larger man than me. I'm only about yeah. six feet tall, and I'm like, I don't know how much I weigh. Probably like one seven. I'm like I'm a medium-sized build, and he's he's significantly bigger than me. He's like an and has man, isn't he? Kind of like he still looks good. Like he's 
obviously we see what he does on on dynamite but he still looks like he can handle business and like he's in good shape and but he has three inches taller than you yeah and he has like his face paint on and everything like that and my my daughter did not like that and when he put like she's like standing off like four feet to the, for the side and when yeah. he put his arm around me for the picture my daughter started freaking out she's like no no <laughs> she thought he was like attacking oh. me and i'm like Uh-oh. no no it's, it's okay <laughs> it was a funny um it was funny but it was a fun experience i'm at i'm sh- i'm sure that he didn't mind he, he probably took that in stride no very well. he's, at, he's um... a very nice man I met Duggan. Duggan's a gorilla in person. Like, his hands are huge. Yeah. Oh, I should also give a shout-out to a friend of the show, Christy Petrillo, because yeah. he, he got me uh, he got me an AEW Sting figure, but, like, yeah. the, the Chase oh, figure, yeah. I think. Wow. The one where Sting has his uh, face at least half-painted like Darby Dallin. Oh, that one's uh, cool. That's a really cool figure, so I actually got Sting to sign that one in um like in blue paint pen because uh another shout out uh friends of the show the fully posable boys um yeah the fully posable podcast uh jeff and scott tune they they talk a lot about using paint pens versus sharpies to have people sign because it lasts longer looks better um so i i i took their advice and i used a blue uh paint pen and it looks incredibly sharp this is uh signature is great yeah Absolutely. I've only uh, gotten a picture with him. I did not get uh, when I met him. I didn't get a uh, an autograph because, yeah, I get pictures because for me, that's more personal. And um, I, you know, trying to stretch a dollar as as is my nature. Yeah. But. When we went to that thing, too, Billy Gunn was like always interested in anyone that brought action figures up. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because he was always. He'd look at it, and he'd be surprised to see all the different ones people showed up with. Yeah, because he'd be like, oh, this is a good one, or I, oh, I don't remember this one, or like, oh, that was my... F-. Someone brought up, like, a, like the Mattel one of him and the smoking guns, and I think he was thinking about stealing it. <laughs> uh, you, you know who was there at that uh, convention was his sons, the gun club. The, gun, the ass boys? Yes, the ass boys. Yes. Sadly, no Danhausen. I probably oh. would have if he had been i probably would have been gone to my wife and like look i need his <laughs> i need a picture i, I need i need a picture with dan house yeah. yes. there's um in october there is a uh, horror convention that's going to be near near me that i'm going to be working at and i am um one of one of the people at our booth is an exquisite face painter and she is going to do me up as dan Housen, so Mm. When that happens, I'll put that on our Instagram. You should you should tag him on Twitter with it too, because I bet he'll. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll mark myself as Shadhausen and see uh, see what kind of response we get. But he likely will respond and favorably. Yeah, that's excellent. I love it. Yeah. So Brad Armstrong. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we we just we we I think. I had a long week last week, and this week's been long so far, so I was just feeling chatty. But so sure. we, no, it's 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 good stuff. I'm we just, have well, that's yeah, that's part of the beauty of this podcast is we can kind of get off onto tangents, but it, it all works because we all have a lot to say about the topics, and we work yeah. well together. So so we actually ended up pulling, we pulled four matches, and we mm-hmm. actually pulled from three decades worth of wrestling. 
for this. Absolutely true. So we pulled two from the 80s, one from the 90s, and one from the 2000s, which would probably surprise some people. So we're going to we're going to go chronologically here. So we're going to we're going to go way back in the way back machine to 1984 and GCW, which you know, we went we went like 200 and something episodes without doing anything from Georgia, and we just done two matches in two weeks with them. <laughs> but, um, so this is this was the final of some tournament to face Ric Flair, probably at the Omni. So this is this is national heavyweight champion Brad Armstrong versus Jack Briscoe. So I'm just gonna say here, I did not like this match, and I hated the booking because. Um, cause I'm going to go straight into why I didn't like it. So this is 1984. Like Jack Briscoe was a massive star in the seventies and early eighties, but he's yeah. obviously like on his way down. And I mean, he goes to WWF later in the year and then like there's some giant snowstorm in Boston and he literally just like, I'm done. And he never wrestled again in like early 85. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I, Cut. Oh, but I was going to say, like, so my problem here is, though, this is this was a prime grade A opportunity to build like the guy you, you put your top singles title on. Yep. And like, I think I'm thinking what they thought they were going to do is pop a house with Flair versus Briscoe. But I did not like the booking here. Um, by the way, Brad, just to throw it in there. He did do at least one more match because it was the the Stooges versus the Mean Street Posse. No, that's Jerry. This that's is Gerald. Jack. Oh, yeah. oh, God, I'm sorry. That's his brother. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My bad. My bad. Um, no, the, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I um, I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention because I did not really understand that backstory. Because to me, I thought this this was like much older than the matches we saw with Ted uh, Ted DiBiase, which it was older because like Brad had the title by then. Or is being pushed to the title, but I thought it was like significantly older, like years older. Because when I watched it, I had a slightly different experience where I was like, Oh, it's nice like the like they are building up this rookie Brad Armstrong. And it's like if you're telling me like no, he's actually like the top face, then that kind of changed. It kind of well, changed I don't think he was the top face, but he had their top singles title at the time. Mm. Um, that kind of changes things because yeah. I thought this was you know, the veteran Jack Briscoe giving a lot to Brad Armstrong, which he kind of did, but um, it it kind of makes things a little bit different if the story of the match is like Brad Armstrong was already like kind of like a star in the promotion. Yeah. And what happened with, with the booking here. So I was um, the, the commentary didn't exactly come through real clear, so I can see real easily how you would have missed some of that. But I'm watching this. And Brad Armstrong is just going to town, just mm-hmm. wailing on him. And then here's what happens is um, Briscoe dumps him to the outside and, like, threw him into the apron or something. And so Armstrong's selling, and whenever Armstrong comes back in, Briscoe just beats him. Like, yeah. there's no – like, if this is one of your top faces, not your top, but one of your top faces, hold your top singles title – I number one, I would think it would take more than that to beat him. At least and then cheat. Two, yeah, yeah. You you if you're gonna do something, okay. The the last match I had with Crash Jackson, who's doing really well on the Indies, I had a match with him uh, one night, and we were doing this tournament thing, and I was told 
on the way through the curtain, we don't have a lot of time. And I was supposed to advance, but I didn't want to make like Crash was getting a big reaction. So I didn't want to make him look bad. But on the other hand, I'm supposed to go over and we don't have a lot of time. So what I told him was like, look, just start throwing me around. I'll go to the outside. I'm going to get in front of the post. You hit the post and I'm going to do a bunch of janky stuff. And so he comes out, he hits the post. He does a great job hitting the post. Whap. He comes in the ring. I do a jumping DDT. I put my, uh, I put my feet up on the ropes, like every scoundrelly thing I can do in that one sequence to beat him because to make it clear, it's like the only reason I beat him is number one, I suckered him. And then number two, you know, I screwed him. But we didn't get that here. We just got like, oh, I guess you're not as good as me. It felt like it, it felt like it, they were going for like an eight minute match that got cut down to like three minutes. It, it got it got cut down to like five minutes. No, I don't yeah. even think that clip's five minutes long. You're probably I'd have right. to go back and look. I'm not sure. But, but I, did, I, I will I say, I really hated it. Yeah, I will say though, I did like. So unlike like WWE commentary now, like I liked that I had no context for this, but Gordon Soley told me, okay, Brad Armstrong's the national champion, so immediately I know, okay, so he's got the top singles belt, um, and the, what the stakes of the match were, there the winner gets the world title shot. So I liked, I liked that it it lived by what I feel like my rules of wrestling were is that he gave me context. Yeah. For everything. Yeah, I thought. Uh having Gordon Sully commentate this was actually a really good thing. Um, and he did one thing that, that was kayfabe, mm-hmm. but I actually love, like, and I wish they did more of this in modern wrestling. I know it's, I know it's very kayfabe. It's like antiquated, but he's talking about how, um, how Jack Briscoe wanted to go face, uh, Ric Flair and win the title again and basically be making more money because the champion essentially gets wealthy. They start making like a, you know, a quarter million, Actually, I think more. I think it was like three quarters of a million as champ, and it's it's kind of like a simple thing. It harkens me back to like when when Dusty or someone would talk about like oh the winner share of the purse. Like yeah. Gorilla Monsoon, I think would say that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. It's like because it, if you're presenting wrestling as you're trying to suspend disbelief and make it seem like this is actually like real, you know, I wink uh, that people are actually competing. There, it's a combat sport. Yeah. Then it's like, well, what's the reason for fighting each other other than, you know, bragging rights that, you know, I'm the best because I won or I have the title, whatever. Like w- an easy way to do that. It's like it's it is the winner's share of the purse. It's like I want to be the best. I want to win my match because I get more money for winning the match, mm-hmm. just like boxers or MMA fighters do. And it's also like, well, I want to be the champion because the champion gets more opportunities. The champion makes more money, et cetera, et cetera. So I like that. that. I like it. Get huh? to the pay window, Daddy. Getting to getting the pay window. Yep. Well, it also helps. It helps you too because then you get because I I kind of that's kind of lacking in like WWE and AEW kind of has it, but sometimes it gets a little lost in the weeds. But it also gives you those guys that are around that ne- don't necessarily care about championships. They just want money. Yeah. Uh, it. AEW has the benefit of using the ra- their ranking system, so mm-hmm. you know every match there's at least some kind of stakes to it. But you know, for a, a long, I remember um, back when I first started watching 
WWF. It's like, oh, we're going to have a match between the British Bulldog and Dude Love. And I, in my head, because I had just been watching WCW for a few weeks, and it felt like that everything I'm watching over there, there was something to it. You know, it, Mike Tanay talks about in the cruiserweight division that the the winner is going to um, maybe get an opportunity to face the cruiserweight champion. Or these two guys here are, you know, they're having a match because one of them is, is you know, on deck to face TV champion or something like that. And I come over and like, it's going to be Dude Love versus the British Bulldog. And I was like, okay, and? And nothing. Yeah. They're just going to have a match. And it, it's like, I know your job is to have a match, but it it helps with my suspension of disbelief if I've got something behind it, just or like Matt said. At least make you feel like they're getting closer to a title shot by just talking about that. I think, though, my, my problem with the AEW ranking system, though, is they get a little too loosey-goosey with that sometimes because they'll be like, oh, they're the number three contenders. Like, I haven't seen them win a match in a month. Like, come that's on, guys. Because they're, yeah. they're on dark or something. Yeah, that's what they Their do. Their elevation. Yeah, they they use like dark and elevation. Like in in theory, like that's a good idea. Like you want to make those those shows not missable. Like you should people should be paying attention to those shows. But the reality is, like if it's not on TV, people are not going to like give it as much no, interest. It doesn't happen if it's not on like TV. <clears throat> yeah, and I think that's that's unfortunately like, fair. And I I, I kind of resist that because there are people there are there's aew talent that they they pop up on dark or or elevation or their match that this week is on one of those programs and people like complain they're like oh well they're not pushed like they're not used like they're just the on dark or elevation in a very very like callous way they say that and it's like they're still being used like they're still on a program that is accessible but i understand what people say about tv because that is important I mean, we had we recently had Becky Lynch like talking about how like oh our women's division is better, which you know we could talk about. <laughs> Half we could of it talk just of, walked out yesterday. Yeah, we, oh. we could talk about that later. But yeah, I, she made those comments, uh, which is like, but it's it's kind of like ridiculous comments in the sense like it, it, they make sense in the sense like yes, I think there are certain aspects of the WWE women's division where some of the women are are booked well and. Featured prominently, probably I don't a little. Even think, um, I don't even think they book any of the women well anymore. Well, it's honest. it's it's. I would say it's arguable. Like she has an arguable point. But the thing is, like the yeah, Raw is three hours. That's like all of the TV time that AEW has for all of its actual regular TV shows. And then you have you have in WWE has NXT. And it has SmackDown. Like, it has an additional four hours just there, let alone whatever program they put on the network. Yeah, and and also, they have decimated their roster with releases the last two years. So they have, Mm -hmm. like, no depth anymore, and no one is over. So they, like, of course the women are getting more time because some of their most tenured employees that are still over are in the women's division. Yep. It's not, I mean, I, I honestly think their TV roster is smaller than AEW's TV roster currently. It does lot. seem like that they're they're probably getting some more TV time, but um, you know it, that that's that is uh, a contentious statement at best. But mm. anyway, back over to um, 
<laughs> it, it's good to have you know a reason behind stuff because it just like I said for me it makes the suspension of disbelief easier. Um, yes, yeah, so we're gonna now bounce ahead to. I think this is eighty-seven. Part of me wanted to say eighty-six. I think this is eighty-seven though. Okay. Um, but I should have looked at that. So this is Bob and Brad Armstrong versus um, the new breed of Sean Royal and Chris Champion. So my takeaway from this is I could have watched Brad Armstrong and Sean Royal wrestle for a really long time. Yeah, we got a nice treat in the Briscoe match with Gordon Soley, and here we got an even nicer treat with David Crockett doing yeah. announcing. Look at him, Tony. <laughs> Look at him, Tony. Look at him. Uh, it took me, like uh, I expressed before, it took me a while to like understand David Crockett um, because when I first, that way back in the day when I heard some like old school, like late 80s, uh, well, back then it was NWA, but when yeah. I listened to it and it was David Crockett doing announcing with Tony Giovanni, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, <laughs> but then I, I eventually I got, I realized like this guy, obviously his family like was involved with it, Jim Crockett Promotions. Um, but that guy, he's just like a super fan. Yeah. He's a super fan that because his family was involved in it, they gave him like the announcing thing. And he's not exactly competent in the terms of like he's not technically great. But his passion for things and everything that was going on and for the baby faces is like infectious. So mm-hmm. he becomes like he goes fast. He goes back to like endearing. And it's yeah. like Dave, when I heard his voice, I'm like, ah, oh, David Crockett, like brought a smile to my face. It brings a good energy to the program yes. in in that, and uh, it's a shame we don't uh, that 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 seems rare to get sometimes. Like it, there's there have been big stretches where you haven't had that. This is this um, is David Crockett. Of course, it's not going to play. I want to thank each and every one of y'all. I like how I think Greg Valentine has to like comfort him from like the the gym floor. It's like it's okay, buddy. Yeah. Oh, was that? I I forgot in the clip at this point. Is that was that him saying that? I thought it might have been Terry Funk, but it could could have been. Oh, it might have been Terry Funk, but one of the guys like one of the rest was like, "Oh, it's okay, man." I don't want to see another one of these. It's still real to me, damn it. And then Terry, I think it's Terry. It's, it's, take it easy, man. <laughs> I wonder if that guy's still alive. That clip's like almost 20 years old now. I remember I saw a follow-up article about him, but that might have been a long, long time ago. Um, I'd have to look. Oh, but. I still, I still, there was something the other day and I wanted to be like, it's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> But uh, this this is a good tag match. It hits some of the um, it hits some of the things that I really like seeing in a tag match. You know, the the hot tag is not a glacier tag. It's it's Brad slips his way past and goes for the hot tag kind of stuff. You know what I uh, really liked is when is when Brad was kind of okay, but he couldn't get around Sean Royal to make the tag. Because Sean yeah. Royal would just like the way their placement worked, Sean Royal was just in his way and he could not get around him. And he kept rocking Sean Royal, but Sean Royal kept Wouldn't... snookering him by getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. was nice. I um I thought the new breed gimmick was really goofy 
but yeah. they were <laughs> as workers they were perfectly reason as serviceable as like a tag team and you're right like they did what i absolutely loved with with old school like tag wrestling they did that it's become kind of like a trope but they did it where it's like the baby face is just about to make the tag and then like the heel partner on the outside comes in to distract the ref and as they are making that tag like the the baby face is making that tag like he he does the ref doesn't see it yeah so then the ref has to be like oh no no and, and force the baby face out while the other guy gets double teamed like it's a trope but they didn't basically make the ref look you, dumb no they didn't um it's it's it, it's cliche but it's like it was done really well here and i enjoyed it mm-hmm. i god i worked a match once where the the guy refing it he was doing a special guest ref thing like he was a he was a coach at a local school or something like that but he would not let the heels distract him for anything like he it was still real to him damn it mm-hmm. and he would not let the heels do anything so when the fresh fresh baby face came in they had to rebuild the heat all over again why wouldn't you just, just like um, I'm, I know that's got to suck, but why wouldn't you just like sucker punch the face to like lure him in if the ref's not? Because what would happen is the ref would whip his head around. Like you're doing the whole thing. It's like, ref, come over here. I'm trying to. And, and then the ref would just like whip his head around like, I know what they're trying to do. And it's like, dude, don't try and be smarter than what we're doing here, man. No, I mean, like, why wouldn't you? I mean, just to, to circumvent his stupidity, why wouldn't you? Like, when you're getting heat on him and they're getting close, why wouldn't you just turn and hit the guy so he comes into the ring when he's not supposed to? The ref would have, have like, turned sideways to watch both of us. Like, that's oh. that's the hell of it. it. It's it it's hard to describe. But the ref did not do that here. He did a really good job, and... I really like New Breed had that um, like atomic drop leg drop combo yeah, that, that I had nice. not seen anyone else do that I really liked. It, you know, not not a huge thing, but it's a nice nice touch. I, um, I also liked I also liked um, and someone should do it, but I think people would think it was too corny. I like that Bob Armstrong was not punching, forearming, or um, knife edge chopping people. He was karate chopping people. <laughs> Um, that's something I feel like you, you need a little build to do. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta establish some cred for the guy to do it. Uh, and it being Bob Armstrong, that's his stuff's built. But if you do that with somebody else, um, you gotta kind of establish him a little bit before you can get away with it, I think. But I think, I think it, it was just a nice, it was a nice visual variety to like all the hours of wrestling I've seen. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair, different. yeah. But I I didn't like they really cut the hot tag short because right as like Bob was getting to fire up they like time limit drew it and I'm like uh okay yeah 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 I it's, did think he looked good for like he he's probably like what pushing fifty at this point probably and he looked good yeah well, I mean the thing too with Bob and I think we you see it more in the the later tag we did is like he has star power. Versus like the other Armstrongs, like but like Bob comes out and you're like, oh okay, this guy, this guy has charisma, like he is a star, like that is the one thing you notice about Bob pretty quick. Yeah, he kind of is, right? And right. I, of all the Armstrongs, I would argue that Brad was probably like the best in ring. Um, but I would say like Bullet Bob 
was probably like number two. Yeah, he was the like, he, yeah, and he had mm-hmm. the, he had like he was like I think Bob is if you smashed um, Road Dog and Brad Armstrong together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't particularly feel like like Road Dog is was either that great in the ring or as charismatic as people give him credit for. He was okay. Like if you he look, was if a you, good talker. If you look at some of those like um the the New Age Outlaws before like when they still had to like actually wrestle matches like he was like the workhorse in that and he wasn't bad it's when he gets in singles matches that i felt he was ill suited for that and he he didn't have enough repertoire to carry an entire singles match but in a tag they could cover for each other yeah um the the thing watching bob in this that cracked me up is when bob armstrong hits the ring gets the hot tag and comes in he doesn't come in stomping shoulders up. He comes in with kind of this little, this sideways little shuffle thing, like he's sneaking up on you, like I'm coming to get you, and it, it works for him. Like in in everything that you would see, or everything you would think, he'd be like that. That's that's dumb. Why would you do that? But you watch Bob Armstrong do it, and it just it just fits. <laughs> but it's kind of it's kind of funny. He just kind of comes in he's like. Oh, here comes Bob. Here comes Bullet Bob. He's going to get you. Well, and the other thing he did really well that I thought Bob did really well that guys and tags don't always do is, like, as the match progressed, you could just tell he was chomping at the bit. Like, he was just, like, waiting for that tag because he was going to fuck everything up, like, the second, <laughs> like, he was allowed in there. Like, guys don't do that enough. One of the no. guys I used to work with, he said, the thing I don't like about working tags is, when you're standing on the apron, you blow yourself up more because you're trying to get the crowd fired up as opposed to being in the ring doing stuff. It's like you get blown up more on the apron trying to get the crowd fired up as a as the <clears> big <throat> face hot tag. <laughs> but, you know, Bob did a good job with it. We wouldn't be talking about Bullet Bob Armstrong if he didn't do a good job with stuff. So, you know. Now, I've been watching Continental, and, like, he's, like, the top face there. And I, he, even as a talker, he's really good. Like, he has, a, he has like, a cadence to his talking that's really good. And okay. he has, there's a sincerity to Bob Armstrong, too, that mm-hmm. helps him out. So then I think our next match is probably the best match of the night. So this is – I don't know what year this is from. I'm guessing they were – this is for the light heavyweight belt, so probably like 92, maybe 93. Uh, I almost feel like it could even be 91. Let me see if I can pinpoint when it was. I uh, like, keep chatting. Didn't um, Richard Morton or um, didn't Richard Morton have the belt originally, or was he just in the tournament? I think he was in the tournament. And then it was Thomas Rich. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Was it just ter- was it just Terry Taylor? No, it was, ta- it was he was a tailor made man at this point, wasn't he? Terry Terry Taylor, yes. Is it when he was in the York Foundation, or was that post York Foundation? He was. was yeah, that was that was. That was an interesting gimmick. I I think they could have done more with that because that was like. They were using a computer to pick the best matches for each of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they uh, had if, uh, very young if, Terry Reynolds. Yeah, if you had yeah. a if you were to do it today as a moneyball style gimmick, 
where it's like, okay, statistically, this guy's going to have the best shot here, and this guy's going to have the best shot here, and that sort of stuff. So this is how we're going to do it. Like, I, I feel like you could make that work. Um, it would take uh, it would take a manager who's who can really sell the character. But I think it's got it would have potential. I think I think it worked there though because computers still had a mystique and most people were all were still computer illiterate at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Looking it up, it was apparently from April fourth, nineteen ninety two. Okay. Okay. Is that a Saturday night? Uh, yeah, I think it was Saturday night. Cause I think it, it sounds like they, the way they were talking. Uh, the announcers obviously was was Jim Ross. And uh, just just see the body Ventura like, and I actually thought the commentary was fantastic through mm-hmm. this match. I loved the commentary, uh, but the way they were they were bringing up certain things and they Jim Ross kind of made it seem like that was the first WCW Saturday Night, which we know that that NWA had Saturday Night shows, oh, so maybe this is just a rebranded they the Saturday have, Night show. They might have rebranded it from. Um... Well, it was World Championship Wrestling in the 80s. It mm-hmm. might have become NWA Championship Wrestling or WCW Championship Wrestling. So it potentially was for 92, might have been the first, like, Saturday night branded show. Mm. Yeah. And they were talking about an upcoming show, too. Um, I, I can't remember what it was. But... It was a show. It sounded like it was. It almost sounded like it was like a TV special, like a 90-minute TV special, but it was yeah. airing like the next day, and it was going to be, um, it's going to be from the Omni in yeah. Atlanta. I'm talking about the Omni a lot, but yeah. Blind Brian Pillman versus Brad Armstrong. Um, you're right, Ventura. Like you know, there's a certain expectation of Jim Ross in this era, and he delivers. But mm-hmm. Ventura was really on point too. Ventura, he was. He, yeah. you know. We've we've now watched two things from this era because we watched um, Super Clash. For, this probably like a month and a half before this, and mm-hmm. for as maligned as I remember, like hearing Jesse Ventura's WCW commentary was like I've enjoyed the stuff we've watched that he's commentated so far. Most of I, it, yeah. I don't really know why he was maligned because I actually thought he was still good in WCW. Um. I thought he was excellent here. He did something that, again, like he, Jesse would routinely do this both in the WWE and also here in WCW. Like he would actually address like psych- psychological aspects of things and why people were doing certain things uh, and how things that they were doing may have been a mistake. So yeah. you talk about how like both guys were like working over the arm uh Jim Ross asked him like a very like kayfabe but psychology related question where it's like oh like Brad Armstrong was I can't I think it was Brad Armstrong was 10 pounds heavier yes and yes and he was like it was Jesse like Brad Armstrong is 10 pound 10 pounds heavier than Brian Pillman is that going to be a factor in this match and Jesse has this like long explanation where it's like no I don't think that's going to be a factor at all these guys routinely face guys that are like 300 pounds and they can manage things well. So I don't think a 10 pound difference is going to make any, any sort of like factor in, in how the match is going to proceed. And it was just like a basic answer, but it made perfect sense where it's like, yes. you know what? You're right. Like these guys face against face off against opponents that are much heavier than a 10 pound difference. Yeah. And you're able to at least like hold their own. So yeah, like that's, that was actually an excellent response by Jesse. 
I think Ventura, from everything we've listened to, it feels like Ventura is when when you start talking about ringside announcers and the people mm-hmm. in the echelons, it feels like Ventura is a little bit undersold. Um, it can be yes. obnoxious. I remember that. Um, remember the the WrestleMania five main event that he really went and shut the fuck up for. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so we've seen the ev- bad side everybody's too. Got, everybody's got an event where it doesn't work. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody's got an event where things don't really work. But on the other, there's a lot of, like, doing a good job. So what you're saying, Shad, is he ain't got time to bleed? <laughs> I'm sitting here on ringside and I'm going to dig into my commentary tackle box for my next trip. <laughs> Mind control. Mind control. In true, in true Jesse fashion. The York Foundation things like we're gonna break out the computer to use the mind control. Uh, in true Jesse fashion, um, he he is certain, so certain that these two guys who are both faces, his face versus face, he was certain that one of these guys is just gonna like just haul off and and just punch the other guy. Like they're gonna go dirty. Gonna Um, sucker punch him. Yeah, which didn't quite happen. It, the match was actually like an evenly paced back and forth match. Yeah. Um, this match to me highlighted what I think is both Brad Armstrong's strength and Brad Armstrong's downfall. Because in the course of this match, we see Brad Armstrong is, I mean. There is nothing he does in the ring that is off base or out of place. Everything he does is very good. His fundamentals, his, uh, I, I say fundamental, you know, fundamentals is probably the best one. He does all of that stuff. It's incredibly solid and incredibly well done. And he can do and, he can adapt himself to his opponent really well because like I think if you watched Brian Pillman in this era, if he wasn't wrestling Liger, he was like really dumbing it down and it felt like he gotta go hog wild here, like if he was in the ring with Liger, because Armstrong might not be as good as like those guys that he could just bust it out with, but he can keep up enough that you don't have to rein anything in. Because yeah. he's game to keep up with you, even if like that's a little above his his um ability. Like he has, he's close enough that he can pull it off. And he's good enough to cover. Like there's a spot where Pillman goes for. I think he he's hopping on the second rope to do a a turnaround splat, turnaround crossbody, and he kind of bobbles it. And Armstrong just he's like, oh, he made a mistake, and I capitalize and takes him down on it. Like pulls him off the the corner for it. Like he's he's his fundamentals are super sound. He's uh, he's very good at covering. He's game for most things, and he sells super well. And I think the downfall for Brad Armstrong, while we didn't see him do more, is uh, I mentioned this to Brad before we got started. But Terry Funk once to, told Scott Hall, "Don't be too good at putting people over, because if you are, that's all you'll ever do." And I feel like that's what happened to Brad Armstrong. Brad Armstrong was really good, but he also made other people look really good. And so that's all they ever had him do. I also think, though, if you're – I also think what would screw him to 
which but i mean would help like if rick flair's coming into the territory like who do you want to work like well who you got like give me brad armstrong like i'm gonna go 40 minutes with that guy you know what i mean so like all these guys are gonna come in and like yeah give me the guy that's gonna make me look good so then mm-hmm. you get paired up with like the big names coming through but then you have to lose to them but you know the big names want to work with you because you're gonna make them look good right but you you get the the choker reputation like you can never get the win when it matters because they want to work with you because they know you're going to make them look good, but you never get put over. So that's that's what my um, that's what my theory on uh, you know poor Brad Armstrong is is that he's not. Well, I was watching some pro episodes that were on YouTube from like '87, and he's having like a feud with the Horsemen. And they always said he was kind of dull on the mic, and I was, like, watching it, like, well, he's not that bad. Like, he's not flair, but, like, he's engaging enough that he could cut promos, and it wasn't like, oh, my God, why is this guy talking? <laughs> he wasn't jumping Jeff Farmer by a long shot. Or not, or Tim <clears throat> Horner. Right. Like, he could hold his or, – or even, like, Robert Gibson. Or um, remember yeah. when Bobby Eaton cut that promo in Memphis and you couldn't understand a damn thing he was saying? Was he not enunciating it well, or was he his just his accent was too? Or... He okay. was like deep accent, whatever it was. Alabama. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a shame because the, he is honestly he is so good. He's really really good. My favorites that we've seen, like this is four matches of him here and then two from last week, but that house show match with DiBiase was really, really good, and I really liked it. <clears throat> and the, I look at stuff like that, and I'm like, ah, it's a shame that he never got like a bigger breakout opportunity. Instead, he had to be flipping a Ragnar Man or something. Yeah, there was a, I think there's a match with Liger out there that we should do at some point. I want to see how he does there. I, I did like that what you're talking about with Jesse, Matt, pointing out mistakes. Like when he finally got the Russian leg sweep and Jesse's like, oh, he's got to get him out of the ropes. Yes, I yeah. actually love the psychology there. Like he he did his move, the leg sweep, but and he had a one basically, but Brian Pillman's like foot was under the ropes. Um, but that I thought like things broke down a little bit because then like he just kind of like stumbled into a different part of the ring and that allowed Pillman to like roll out, basically use the ropes to do not quite the buckshot lariat, but kind of like just do it like a. a oh, that air a, Pillman springboard lariat. Yes. And then and that that was it that he pinned him. I liked that because it seemed almost like a flying sucker punch. Mm-hmm. And it's like I totally get why that would put him down. Uh, no, it it seemed believable as like that could be a. It finish. was just abrupt. I was kind of like, oh, th- it's over. Like what? Yeah. Yes, I um I thought this match was excellent. Yeah, I did I too. I was telling I was telling you guys like if I had to do like star ratings, I'd probably give it like a, a three and a half star match. Like it was evenly paced. It was very brisk. It was back and forth. Even the stuff, and kind of like the first half of it where they're working over the arm, like it didn't feel boring. It felt like very like there's someone's trying to get an advantage and like they couldn't, but it was very good. If they had had, this is one of those things that if this was on pay-per-view and they had given these guys like another 10 minutes, like it was so it, instead of like a 10 minute match, which is what it was, they gave him like 10 extra minutes. So it was a 20 minute match. Like this probably would be 
this probably would have been a higher than 3.5 match probably would have been like a four star match like you would have probably remembered this mm-hmm. uh for years to come but as it was like kind of people kind of don't remember this i i kind of remembered it so when we were talking about match brett armstrong matches to review i was like oh let me see i think that's out there and it was on youtube mm-hmm. but it's an excellent match like it's uh i would highly recommend it to anyone it reminded me not because the it, the the um it reminded me a bit of like the Starlight Kid Azumi match we did like not in that they didn't do like the complex um pinning combinations but kind of the the way they they did the work in the match and the pacing those matches felt very similar to me in that regard like it mm. it it called back to that for me because I was like oh I kind of see that and kind of like how the mistakes mattered and like going with mm-hmm. what worked and stuff like the psychology was similar to me the the only complaint that i have about this is it something that i i, I have seen a lot from you know 80s early 90s matches is that there are a lot of guys who spend the first five or so minutes of the match arm drag we're gonna we're gonna hook the arm here and we're gonna and they spend you know this big chunk of time working the arm that never comes into play again. And I, I get it. It's something everybody can do. It's something the crowd's familiar with. Um, you know, it's, it's, if everyone's familiar with it, it's easier to make it look good, but it's, I, I would prefer my psychology that in doing that, it plays into where you're going. Uh, maybe that's just me being picky, but depends on the match for me. Yeah. But it, well, I mean, you know, for example, if, if you're doing that to – here, I'll pull a, a name out of it. If I'm doing that to Kevin Nash or Scott Hall, the idea behind working the arm is then they can't do the power bomb or the razor's edge to me. And it's like, okay, I, I, I get that. Like I'm, I'm not doing this because I'm going to beat them this way. I'm doing this because I'm going to deprive them of their big weapon. But you know that didn't really play in here. So that's – No, but that, I think – I think, though, it's unrealistic, though, for every match to stick to, like, where you started. Like, sometimes you're going to switch tactics and sometimes you're going to get tunnel vision. You know, like, there's, um, like, how many times have we seen in an MMA fight, like, a guy having success with something and then just, like, completely stop doing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it... they because they got tunnel vision or, like, they got stubborn. Like, I think, I, think I, I agree with you in a certain sense, but I also think, like, sometimes guys should go away from what's working for them or because, like, they need to make mistakes to lose. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those. Um, I think the reason it sticks out to me is because I've seen this exact thing happen so much. Or, like, it, I think... Um, Orange Cassidy excels at like callbacks in his matches where like he'll totally get destroyed by a move and then Uh he'll wrestle that guy four months later and then that guy will go for that same move and Orange Cassidy will avoid it. Yeah. Like I think um, I think sometimes like especially in like a series of matches like let's say like here like it you know maybe they come back for a match in two months and Brad Armstrong sticks with the arm longer and then wins that match. Like, I think you Uh can do stuff like that. Sometimes I think contextually you can, you have some wiggle room. You should play with, with that. Mm -hmm. I I, I guess I'm just grumping on it. It being a pattern uh, of, we're going to do this for a few minutes 
and it it just doesn't have any impact later. But I don't. So. I also don't like though, and I mean, I know you you it kind of goes with what you're saying, but I don't also like when guys nitpick matches where they're like, well, this guy like got his leg worked over for five minutes, but he stopped selling it twenty minutes later. It's like, well, it could get better. You can yeah, you can shake. I can buy shaking it off and that sort of, like if if you have not spent the entire match on it, you know, like if in this match, let's say Armstrong had worked the leg for a few minutes and then switched to something else. I'm not going to be mad about Pillman hitting air Pillman for the win, but if he had done it for the entire match, if that's all Armstrong did the whole time, then I'd be grumpy yeah, about it. No, that's different. But yeah. I remember there was, um, I think it was a Bob Backlund title defense against Greg Valentine, like 79. I think he got out of the, the figure four, he'd been working his leg and he fell to the floor and Bob Backlund was on the floor, like punching his injured leg to try and get the muscles to stop cramping. I thought that was mm-hmm. an interesting little bit of like, um, psychology that he was trying. Mm-hmm. I remember Foley doing that as mankind against Shawn Michaels at mind games. Um, cause that in the course of that match, um, he went after, uh, Foley's leg got hurt somewhere and he got a pen from Paul Bear and started like stabbing at his leg, trying to get everything to loosen back up. So, yeah, yeah, we, you can absolutely get on that, but it, it's a minor quibble in 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 this match. It's just it's a pattern that I saw for a long time. It's well, the, kind of... the the problem is is like I've been watching Stardom and especially that Suri Utami match. I really got spoiled on the progressive nature of her arm locks. Mm-hmm. And um, that really has ruined me for other wrestling because I'm like, well, no, I want I want them to like I want there to be progress. I want like the arm bar to get repetitively like more dangerous and severe. Yeah. Um, so I kind of got ruined on that. Well, on there, it's a style that's really clicking with you and not everybody does. that. Yeah, so. I, it's just like I just like that. idea. Yeah, but... I, I got you. So we're gonna we're gonna jump way ahead. I think I don't remember what year this was. I'm this is sometime between 2005. 2010 if i had to guess so this I is think from the description i think it was 0708 one okay. of those two. yeah that, that sounds right so this is um two guys i actually think should have gotten a little more play in the 2000s but this is um phil and sean davis the heartbreak express versus um brad armstrong and bob armstrong as the bullet i wondered why he was wearing a mask yeah, so so that's the bullet that's kind of like his version of the Midnight Rider. Mm. Oh, okay. All right, well. I remember Heartbreak Express. I didn't really see much of their matches, but I remember them at the time because they got some heat. Uh, not heat in a bad way, per se, although I did always hear a story about how they like they caused like a, a riot down in Puerto Rico. Mm. Um. But I, I heard that they got heat in the sense that they got like attention uh, in terms of like indie wrestling acts, and they were they were unique in, in the sense that like one guy was kind of like a, a ragged like regular indie guy, like he had a little bit of size to them, but more like average size, and he was in decent shape. Yeah. Whereas the other guy was like just a fat guy. Yeah, like a, a fat slob, for lack of a better way to put it. And I'm not trying to be mean or ugly. No, he was playing like a, into it, though, because he was doing, like, yeah. the sexy I'm taking my jacket yes. off thing, and I was laughing yeah. at yeah. that. Yeah, I think they played that up intentionally. It was very, it was, yeah. it's, it's clever. It's funny. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta 
you got to appreciate a guy that can lean into that. But I think, Shad, you're talking about on a show you worked with a guy like that, and he was like an inappropriate like ladies' man that was just inept with the women yeah, or something. He, he thought he was a ladies' man. It was a similar kind of thing. He was a heavier guy, and he, he his gimmick was that he thought he was a ladies' man. And, you know, but in the course of, the, you know, he's doing a pre-match interview – and he's wearing his shirt and tie. Uh, he's obviously a heavier dude, but he had been around for a while, but he started into the ladies' men gimmick. And, you know, he's cutting a promo talking to this uh, very pretty young lady that, that was doing the backstage interview stuff. And he's cutting this promo while he's hitting on her and eating a cheeseburger at the same time. And I had to leave the room because I was cracking up. I, I loved it. He's standing there with this Wendy's wrapper crinkling the whole time because he keeps taking little bites of it while he's cutting the promo and hitting on her at the same time. Hey. <laughs> he'd go to the ring and he he would, uh, you know, he, he'd be doing the similar kind of thing um, with, uh, I think he had like a Sam Cooke song he was using as an entrance or something like that. <laughs> he's doing that whole thing and he's got, like, for most of his career, he'd been wearing long pants and a shirt. But he's wearing a singlet, and it's got, like, hearts all over it. And he'd, like, he'd like look at this lady. He's like, I know you're interested. What you need is a, a man with enough love for it. And he'd, like, rub on the hearts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, though, I love that they came out to Cherry Pie by Warrant. Like, that cracked me up. I'm like, that is that a was... highly appropriate song for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was inspired. Yeah. These guys hit, like, every indie's heel trope you can think of, but not in a bad way. Uh, that's what I took away from it. Like, they – that – the Heartbreak Express, it is as old-school indie as you could possibly be. They did everything that they could think of. Like, the, the stalling at the beginning. Calling yeah. people Just, hillbillies and oh, all yeah. that stuff. Oh, yeah making threats you knew they were never going to follow through on. Yeah. Um, complaining to the ref about everything. The only thing that they did that I didn't care for was them cutting that little promo on the way out at the end. And I'm just like, no, you didn't need to do that. But they also kept it simple. They didn't do super flashy stuff because they were heels and they might get cheered if they get too. Yeah. Fancy schmancy. They made it very clear that they did not. There was nothing to cheer them for and they they made it made sure that you did not cheer them um they made sure that you there was nothing redeeming or likable for them yeah and when i say they played into every indie heel trope they did and it worked but the other thing they were willing to do was stooge for it a lot because they'd go out there and they do that thing and then Brad or or Bullet Bob would do something, and they would just they would panic and run away from it, or they'd take this big bump and roll out and pitch a fit, or like they were not doing all the heel stuff and then turning around and also like being cool heels. They they absolutely uh, showed their ass in order to to bring it home. No, if and you cheered was, them, they'd probably be mad at you and tell you to shut yeah. up. It like they they did a. They did a very good job, even if at some point I, I had maybe used one or several of the same tropes. 
I don't know if I ever used all of them in the same match like this, but you know, it, it's they they did everything to be hateable and nothing nothing redeeming or cool about them. And I appreciate that so much. I was trying to figure out when this happened, and I found a match. I think it was like on an IWA Deep South. I need to find. I need to see it. It's um, Bob and Brad Armstrong versus Larry Sweeney and Mitch Ryder. I must see this match, by the way. You know, from everything you guys have told me, I would probably love Larry Sweeney stuff, and I should really go looking for it. He's a guy that, again, this is years and years before AEW. Yeah, um, and he's kind of—I say this in the best possible way—he was kind of—he was kind of a little bit like a modern-day Eddie Gilbert mm-hmm. in terms of like his like personality and and just being actually a good worker. But yeah. if that guy had lived and he was around, even if he like had left wrestling and was convinced to come back, like if that guy was in AEW. Like he would be massively over, massively. What if he still like, have the Texarkana championship? <laughs> I don't know. He feuded with like um, Brian Alvarez. Yeah, he feuded with Brian Alvarez over that belt. Yeah. He just uh, he had his demons, and specifically when I mean demons, he had like I think bad bipolar disorder. Mm. But if he was able to pull it together and he uh had been around like nowadays like he would have been like fantastic well the the sad thing about that deep south match though is that's from like 2007 or 2008 and they're all dead Mm. i think mitch Ryder made no bullet bob made it the longest i think mitch Ryder died before bullet bob did because bullet bob only died what like two years ago last year maybe something like that um i I remember it happening but i don't remember the win yeah, because I think his wife died and then he died. I think something like that. But Brad's been gone for quite a while now, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's about 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, because he, he had a heart attack, right? Who? Larry Sweeney? No, Brad Armstrong. Oh, Brad Armstrong. He's been gone about 10, and there was actually like a lot of mystery as to what happened to him, but it seems like if you read between the lines, like he had gone to the doctor for a, a quote unquote like undisclosed illness. Uh, but people have speculated that it really it seemed like he did have like a heart attack. Oh. Hey, um, this is totally unrelated, but it just popped in my head. Has Billy Jack Haynes ever turned back up? I haven't heard about him in a long time. Well, he when, when COVID started, he disappeared. And he was like last I had heard he'd been gone like he had been disappeared for like almost a year. But I don't know if he ever turned up. Hmm. That's crazy. But he. Billy Jack is like so crazy that I don't know if that means anything bad happened or he's just like off the grid. Because yeah. he seems kind like, of on brand for him, wasn't it? Yes. He seems like a guy that would like go off the grid. Let's see. I'm trying to see. Yeah. But uh, the you even get to see how good um, at selling Brad is in that last match with Heartbreak Express because, you know, they're doing their stuff and he's putting them over. You know, he's selling for him big and it's just and I look at it and I'm like he, you know, he's such a professional. It's like he can't not sell big for people. 
this match was ponderous to me because if you actually like pay attention to the faces the Armstrongs rolled in this, yeah, I'm like they must have actually loved this match and loved working with the Heartbreak Express because they practically did like nothing in this match. <laughs> All they did, they there was like extraordinarily little offense that they actually yeah. put forth. They had to just go in there and like sell for the, the the Heartbreak Express or let them do like their like indie heel old school antics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they must have loved it. It was like this is an easy night. Let's go out yeah. and do it. Yep. And that's pretty common whenever you're at a place and and a big name from the outside comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the worst example I ever heard. Uh, well, he's in WWE, so he must have popped back up at some point. Um, eight, nine years ago, there was a show. Uh, there was a guy in the area that I, I kind of knew a little bit named Jordan Cage, who was real solid. He was always used well by promotions he was in. They had a match with Buff Bagwell. Like, they, Bagwell was coming in to do a show here, and he's working Jordan Cage. And it was basically Jordan Cage just kind of bumping around Buff Bagwell. Bagwell didn't bump once. And is this so around when his calf implants exploded or is this <laughs> like pre I don't remember, to be honest with you. I it, it just from what I was told by someone who was there, it was more of a like Buff just decided he wasn't gonna. And so Jordan tried to be professional about it and just kind of bump around him. You know, I watched um, guy we had on the show, Alex Angel, had a match with Al Snow, and um, you know, it, not because Al wouldn't give him anything, but you know, Alex was kind. He talked about it with us, but you know, he uh, Al didn't didn't hardly bump in that match. So you know, here here we go. Um, it, it and I, I get it. Like there's a, a shoot interview with Raven where Raven's like, "Look, man." Uh, you know, this the place I'm in now, I'll go to a show. I usually work tags, uh, but I have to work face, and it's harder to to call shots and, and plan stuff when you're the face. But he's like, I don't even do the even flow anymore. I have the other guy do it to give him the rub because I just don't want to bump anymore. <laughs> I mean, if you, have the, if you have the stroke because you're on national TV and, like, you don't – like, you, they're willing to pay you and they're not going to call you out for not bumping. Like, I think even if I was a professional, I'd still – go that route like i, yeah. I don't blame them i mean what i mean i know you're a worker and like you have different opinions on that but if you had that kind of clout you could get away with it and like the fans would still go home happy wouldn't you just be like sorry dude like i'm not i you know I'll, it, i'm it, game but I'm, i've got three bumps in me tonight so yeah yeah you can. don't because your bump card's gonna fill up sooner or later and so you don't want to have to use you know you don't want to use them up in a a dinky little town with 20 people there. I get that. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, come on a little bit, give the guy a little bit. Cause he's going to have to come back here next show when you're going to be gone. Um, could you give him just a little bit? please? I think that's on promoters though, too. Yeah. Just saying, you know, it's <sighs> if, if were I, a big name traveling around to be like, look, man, I, I, I can give you a couple. You know, I'm not doing a whole bunch now, but I can give you a couple and um, and and do that. But it's like, dude, you get three. Like, make it count. <laughs> yeah, it, that that is 
probably yeah i'd sit down and talk to the guy and i would probably gauge like where they were and then it could be like all right i'm gonna give you this main night how much of this do i need to plan out like how much of this do i do we need to like lay out ahead of time because i don't know how i also think though i think even if you're like a vet with tv exposure you know who the guys you're going to be working hard to some degree so like if you're you're going around in like 2008 and it's like Brian Danielson, you're going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to bump for you. We'll do some stuff. But if it's like Joe Blow from like, you know. Joe Blow know. from Tupelo. Yeah, Tupelo. It's going to be like, look, dude, you get two bumps. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I get what you're saying, but it's one of those like they don't – they look like Bob and, and, and – the Armstrongs loved it because, you know, like you said, they didn't have to do much, but they would have been thrilled with that. They, they, I thought they both bumped for the heartbreaks decently. They did okay, you know. It, it, they didn't have to do much. No, and and I think Bob was pretty old at this point too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. <laughs> I mean, Brad it, did Brad did like the heavy lifting here. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty clear. Brad's the one taking the bumps in this. So, I mean, Bob took a pretty big one at the end for the the pin. But you, did, you know what I'm getting at. Here. When did this match occur? 2007 or 2008, somewhere in there. Okay, like Bob would have just been shy of 70. Yeah. Wow. He looked good for his age, though. I have to he, say, he did look good. He yeah. actually looked very good. He had, um, <laughs> I mean, he was he clearly like had worked out in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. So he still had a little bit of that like in shape body, but he had what, uh, especially if you have like older um, relatives, he started to get like the old man legs for it's like yeah, they're kind of like lo- they're kind of like spindly a little bit, not like looking terrible, but you know, but they look kind of spindly. It's like all right, this guy's got some age, to him. but he looked good. They lost some yeah. mass and fat, so yeah. yeah. But I also think with Bob though, in this is again, I said that about him in 1986, but like. If he couldn't bring work in here, he still had star power, even at this point mm-hmm. under a mask. You could just say, like, oh, that guy that guy was somebody at some point in his career. Like, yeah. I think you would, even if you had no context of who he was, you'd be like, oh, that guy was something. He he knew what was up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, it, I don't know. It's, it's a shame to see someone who was... Uh, as solid as Brett Armstrong was and, and go through so much of his career without getting a big nod somewhere. It feels like, um, yeah, cause yeah, he's able to do it, do it very well for a long time. But, oh, well, I guess. Yep. So that is, that is the four <laughs> Brad Armstrong matches we did. I have to say he was a lot of fun for um for what we've watched of him. I thought that I think out of everything we saw, I think I like the Ted DiBiase Oklahoma City match the most. Mm-hmm. But there was just a lot of layers to that and Ted DiBiase was I mean, this is probably controversial. I think Ted DiBiase was a better worker than Flying Brian in general. Oh yeah. I don't I, agree I, with that. I don't even think that's controversial. Okay, I I thought some people might like have issues with that but there, I, there might be a friend of the show who would disagree with us but no, i mean brian pillman was good but he 
he, Ted DiBiase was like the complete package, especially in that stuff we watched with him. Mm-hmm. He was like, because I, I, I had compliment, I had commented on that, and I don't remember if I said it on the show, but like the the Oklahoma City match with him was like a flair esque working the hometown boy performance. Yeah, it was very opinion. very good. Yeah, and so like Brad Armstrong we... was very good in that, but like that was, I felt that was like elite tier work from Ted DiBiase. They were both really on point for that match. Like uh, it's it DiBiase had some more shine had more shine to him, but on the other hand, they both more than pulled their weight for it. Yeah. Is in my opinion. So So I do not know what we're doing next week. We'll probably take a break from footage and we'll probably come back um with another weird assortment of stuff. Yeah. Uh before we sign off, can I just briefly uh, run down the other wrestling thing I did this weekend? Sure. Yeah. Um, I did New Japan's Capital Collision uh, Saturday night. Uh, it was at the Entertainment and Sports Arena in Southeast DC, like a very small venue. Like the the capacity is only like 4,200. Uh-huh. Uh, but allegedly they sold it out. It was a good crowd. Um, the matches were really uh, quick and brisk. Like the entire show was about two and a half hours long. There was no intermission. wasn't really like a lot of filler. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I won't bore you with all the matches. Uh, it was very heavily into like the New Japan Strong, so basically the American version of New Japan. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't uh, dig that as much, but that's still cool that they you gotta go. I don't dig it as much either, but it's like you're talking about Japanese talent like traveling. It's like I didn't expect you'd be pulling like half the new Japan roster over to actually like be doing stuff. Like he probably had like a, I'd have to count and see, but you probably only had like maybe like a dozen new Japan guys really actually coming mm-hmm. and doing stuff. But, uh, the memorable matches, I would say a birdie King, he defeated uh, Minoru Suzuki, which I was a little surprised by that result. I would have probably put Suzuki over, um, there was the next to last match was Bullet Club uh, meeting Jay White and uh, Hikuleo, uh, defeating Chaos of uh, Kazakata and Rocky Romero. Ooh, you uh, got to see got, Great O'Conn in action. Lucky you. Yeah, yeah, Great O'Conn. He was super over as a babyface. Really, that's surprising. Yes, I think. I, well, I think it's it's a very smart crowd, and I think that they 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 knew the story about him in real life. Uh, beating the shit out of a pedophile. Oh, yeah, who, I forgot he did who that. Who was perving on uh, an underage girl, and he, like, beat the, the hell out of the guy, waited with the girl until the cops came, and then when the girl, like, when the girl and, like, her, her family were like, like, thank you, how can we repay you? And he's like, well, I'm a wrestler, you can watch me <laughs> every week. <laughs> like, he totally, like, did the company a solid, or, like, promoting things, so... Yeah. I think I think at the heart of the fans, even though he's not like the best worker on the planet, like he's kind of like a baby face. Uh, that how, match was pretty good. How much oh, go chopping happened in the Eddie Kingston versus Ishii match? So that's uh, before the main event. Like that's the match I actually would say was probably the best match on the card. It was uh, Tomohiro Ishii against Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston had done promos before talking about how like he he's a huge fan of all Japan. He wanted it to be essentially like strong style meaning Ishii versus King's Road, representing the All Japan style. And there was a lot of chops. It was very... There was some head drops. It Ooh. was kind of like New Japan versus 
uh, all Japan. And there was even some stuff where they like there was a couple times there was big moves that were done, and then like let me pop up and do a big move myself. Mm. Um, it was just an excellent match. Uh, it was great seeing it live. Eddie Kingston certainly brought it. Like that guy. I mean, we've talked about it before uh, in AEW. Like I really do feel like that guy should win some sort of title. Oh yeah. Future. Like he's just. He's beloved. He's like a good worker. He works hard. Uh, and then the the main event for the show was a four way, a fatal four way, for the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the champion Hiroshi Tanahashi facing off against Will Ospreay, John Moxley, and Juice Robinson, who had just turned heel and wow. uh, had been joining a Bullet Club. And spoilers, folks, like Juice Robinson won after some like kind of ref distraction. Uh, I had explained to my wife, she's kind of, she was like, why are like two of the guys like out of the ring? And I'm like, well, this is like a fatal four ways. So they always run like a, this like trope gimmick where two guys have to be quote unquote injured and can't participate in the match while your focus is on like the two guys they want you to focus on. But this was a really fun match. Like people were kind of like upset that Juice Robinson won. Um, I'm not only because like that dude just join bullet clubs they why are they want... said juice robinson one i thought because they don't they don't think that they think he's like a lesser guy and they're kind of over bullet club and it's like i get it bullet club has certainly probably run its course but if they are going to push him as like a big thing for turning and joining bullet club like it makes perfect sense for him to main event and win a championship to kind of juice things up I, i'm that... surprised people don't like juice like i mean yeah he's kind of a mid carter but he's been like He's like a really solid hand and has been for yes. a long time. Yes. It was a fun match. I liked it. Um, the one thing I will say, and maybe this is just because like the BCC, the Blackpool Combat Club, is so over. Yeah. But John Moxley is like an even bigger star than he was before. People like awesome. Like loved him and he came off as just this like badass. Like he'd be doing stuff. And watching him, like, you really appreciate it. As a, as a guy who's, like, you know, watched wrestling for, for decades at this point, some mm-hmm. of the stuff he would be doing, I would be very impressed just how, like, technically sound it was and, and how good it was. Like, there was one part he did a move that he, I think maybe it was to Juice, but he did, like, this, like, I won't say running. It was more like a diving lariat and caught him, caught, caught mm-hmm. his opponent. And then when he's, like, falling down before he hit the mat, he did like a somersault just okay. to kind of – but it looked so crisp. It looked so ridiculously good, and he bled at some point in the match. Like he just is a star. I I, now, I honestly did don't he do, Did he do uh, like – um? so what, what ring attire did he wear for this? Did he wear his typical New Japan kind of like bike short look, or no. did he do like the, the pants? No, he did totally like a Blackpool Combat Club like uh, okay. pants, almost like uh, like camo pants. I don't think they were camo, but it was like that. It looked like yeah. like intense combat pants. Out of uh, curiosity, and this is uh, this is just an odd question, but what music did he use for this event? I honestly don't remember. I I don't feel like I heard. I mean, there was music, but I didn't really pay attention to it. Okay. But he came off great. They 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 kept his entrance where he came through the crowd. Mm. Like, and it's not a it's a small venue, so that wasn't didn't take much time uh, to do that. 
Uh, but it just it, he comes off as like such a star, and his work is like so good and believable. He comes off as a star, not just like how he is presented, but it's like in his work he comes off like a star. Like he's probably like in a, in a match with like Tanahashi. Like he he came off as like the biggest star in that match. I think they're probably building towards Moxley versus Tanahashi, hopefully, because mm-hmm. that I think that would be an awesome match if they do it at Forbidden Door. Cool. So I'm glad I went. Uh, although I will say, like my my weekend was not uh, perfect. Like Sunday was like bad smells. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that show, like I sat next one of the the dude I sat next to. I swear it, it it was two things. It was a running commentary all night long. Oh God, that's the worst. Where he's uh, just talking like, oh yeah, oh Moxley, he's coming after your boy, and it's like all it's like all night long. It's like okay, guy, can you like. Can you not? Uh, and the other thing is that I don't know if this dude which had just bad anxiety or restless leg syndrome, but it was like he was trying to do. It's like there might as well have been snakes on the floor, and he's just trying to stomp the life out of all the snakes because it was oh, nonstop, really? like tapping his foot for two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, we remember, really, I yeah. went to when I went to Ring of Honor in Dayton the last time. I was sitting next to this guy. He must have weighed like four hundred pounds. And, you know, when you go to those Ring of Honor shows, you're just in folding chairs. So, like, I'm, like, leaning to the side because, like, his fat is, like, attacking me all night. But that show is hilarious because there was a commentator during that one, but he was fucking hilarious. Because, like, they had a match. It was War Machine versus Jay Briscoe. And I think Hanson was, like, beating up Jay's like, he's like, yeah, big boy, like, beat that hillbilly up. (laughs) It's always tough whenever there's only one commentator because it's like, mm. well, what what role do you play there? Yeah, um, but um, that was awful because, like I said, like I I was just like I was like this guy's fat rolls were like yeah. half on me all night. I'm just, I just like oh my god, like just kill me. I had a flight like that once. This was so weird, but my seat and at the time I was a lot younger. I was tall, but I was um. I was still kind of filling out. So I was, yes, I was definitely in my svelte phase. But I had gotten the middle seat in the row. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. Not a big deal. These two, I'm going to assume they were a couple, although I don't know why I was in the middle, come and they sit down on either side of me. And they are not small mammals. And then looked at me and were mad. And they said, you need to gather together. And I was like, I'm as gathered as I can be. I'm sitting here with my elbows tucked inside the armrest. See, but I'm you have you have the problem. The I do. like you have the problem. I do though, because like people do that to me, and it's like, look, do you see me? Like I am a wide human being. Like we're not even talking about my weight. Like I have broad shoulders, and my frame is wide. Like I can only do so much. Yeah. On a plane, like I'm yeah. sorry, like I and can't do much. And my legs are long enough that it's like. There's not enough space between me and the seat in front of me for me to just sit with my knees directly in front of me. Like, that that physically can't happen. So, I was, anyway. I was on a flight once, and the woman next to me ordered a Bloody Mary, and I just wanted to kill myself because those smell awful. It's like Tabasco <laughs> and tomato, like the two worst yeah. smells, like, mingled into a – there's some other thing in there, too, that I think smells awful, but just the disgusting smell, and, like, it doesn't go away even when the – drinks done yeah yeah 
that's the, that's only the that's the worst experience I've had at a wrestling show. Like the BO is ever present, but that's the only time like I've ever like wanted to take my chair and beat someone with it. <laughs> and I think I just would have lost it in the fat. Like it was awful. Oh. Like I, you know, you're trying to like I didn't say anything, but you know, you're trying to be nice, but it's just like oh my god, like and then I'm like trying to scooch over, but there's only so much room, and it's like oh god, like I have to put up with this for hours, and then like. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not claustrophobic. The worst experiences I've had have actually been at, like, concerts. And it's typically been people who are, you know, have drunk way too much and become, you know, that a-hole. But one Uh, thing I have... Hockey games, this woman, this woman at this one, when we had season tickets, like, kicked someone's drink over. Didn't even apologize. It was like our... Because we were season ticket horse, so we sat next to this guy like every game. Yeah. Kicked his drink over, didn't even apologize, but then we had to sit in like sticky half dried beer the whole game because yeah. she did that like in the first period. The um, one thing I've also noticed from convention time is that like in the morning, there's it's actually it's not bad. There's not like a lot of body odor or anything like that. But as the day progresses and you've got a bunch of people in there. And maybe they're wearing costumes that are kind of heavy, or maybe it's just people crowded in and that sort. That's when you're going to get the smell progression. And usually Sunday, usually Saturday is like peak. Yeah. Bo day. Saturday is I call the crush because that's when like everybody's there. And then Sunday is like Sunday con day is like everyone's like oh my god like I've been drunk for two days and I am so fucking (laughs) hungover I'm just gonna lay on the floor. It's Sunday is is usually family day or kids day because it's much more low key and um, everyone's hungover. Like I said, <laughs> everyone's. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the if, if you haven't ever gone to a, a Comic Con, I'm going to tell you, go on Sunday because that's going to be the most low key day you could do it on yeah. where everybody's actually there. And that's where like the did like and they've gotten the debauchery out of their system for like the past two or three days yeah the fridays are okay but sometimes you have guests that haven't made it in yet and stuff and like that so the, the vendors aren't all there either and you get kind of screwed on that i think so if if you've never been to one i'd say go to go on sunday and enjoy your you know enjoy the experience on sunday so. it, de- it depends for me because like some of the ones around here go like super late so usually it's even if you're going to go one day, I always recommend just buying the weekend pass because it's a better deal. And especially if you live close, like I do to some of the ones around here, is like there's some really fun stuff you can pop in at like 2 a.m. for if you're up for it. it that depends on the event because some of them don't have um, – some of them don't run late stuff. Usually the anime cons things. run late that I've been to, so – um, I I don't go to anime cons. Um, I had a bad the comic ones actually. I had a bad experience with an anime con years ago, and I've just kind of avoided them since then. Have... I, I don't I don't know what the deal was, but I almost got tackled by a gang of teenagers. It's not like, oh, coming over to hug you. Like, if if I had not been moving, I would have legit been tackled and knocked to the floor by them. And then they had the temerity to get pissy with me about it. Like, oh, he's just being a character. It's, it's something we do. And I was like, you didn't ask if you could touch me. And here you come running full tit. No, 
you all piss off. I um, and, Colossal Con, which is near Cleveland, is in a hotel with a water park, and you could buy, I think, forty-eight ounce pina coladas. Yes, I oh. have. <laughs> I have friends who've gone to that a lot, and um, it, it's a. Uh, it is. I, I have not gone. It but, is the yeah, most. I'll look at it. It is, so I go to a, a couple others around here, but that is the most debauch of them and the most drunken. <laughs> but I went with my niece one year and I was bored. I'm just like, eh, let's go see what one of those 48 ounce drinks tastes like. And yeah. it was quite good, and they weren't shy with the alcohol, and I was happy for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> so we're gonna have one other thing, but I'm not going to. Let me explain the whole thing on this. Here, um, <laughs> yesterday. So we were we didn't get hit by the curse for this one, but yesterday the story came out that um, Sasha Banks and Naomi just left during Raw because they were unhappy about something. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that from lots of different angles and lots of different sources, there's some conflicting reports. WWE released a really uh, a poorly statement, worded statement by the really way, really poorly worded and. Bad from, gra- grammar structure too, actually. Yeah, it, it was. It seemed especially uh, structured in order to sh- try and shift as much blame as it could on the two of them. But from what I have read from Fightful and what I heard from Wrestling Observer Radio, it's like there's more to this. And so I was going to say we'll acknowledge it, but I want to wait to talk about it until Mel- we get some information. Meltzer seems fairly convinced that this was a contract slash money dispute and not a creative <clears throat> issue. Yeah, there's a ton of conflicting information because when it happened, uh, me and actually the guy who got in trouble with uh, CM Punk, Paul Fontaine, <laughs> both of us were um, – take the tote the tone that it's like you know if she if they left during raw like that's not really very professional they should have just waited to the end of the show and then oh my god the we got people jumped down our throats about how like that you know like and it's like guys i didn't explain this but it's like guys i i personally worked in like labor and employee relations before yeah. so i'm coming at it from the perspective it's like if you are even if you like you are being maligned and I feel like there is truth to the fact that whatever is going on contract or just they didn't like the booking. I do feel like they're kind of getting the raw end of the deal. And so they're right to be pissed and maybe they're right to be like, I am going to walk away from this company for a while until you appreciate my worth. Like I understand all that. I'm not even saying that's wrong. I kind of agree with all that, but I'm coming from the, labor and employee relations type of thing where it's like they're contractually obligated so if they walked out in the middle of a show i think that that is unprofessional in that context it's like you're contractually obligated to perform in a show that had already started and you were booked for now a lot of stuff has come out after the fact where it's 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 ambiguous but it does seem like all of this went down before the show began which flips the script. In that case, it's like they gave some sort of fair warning where it's like, I'm not going to do the show today before, before it started, before it started, they gave fair warning. where it's like, no, I don't like this. It seems, I think what's going to end up being, I think 
it's going to be they're going to be about 25% culpable and the rest is going to be like 75% WWE being WWE but if it I'm going to be more forgiving if like they if their contracts are coming up in a couple months and um they're like Vince is trying to fuck them on money like I would be well, fine with them we can talk about it like next week because there's even like conflicting information about about what went on and who is the wrong party here because there's some reports out there that it, that are claiming like oh no Vince was actually totally fine with the changes they wanted made and instructed his underlings which I assume is like John Laurinaitis or Bruce Prichard to make the changes and then allegedly they didn't make the changes like the yeah. underlings didn't make the changes and to that it's like you left like shrugging your shoulders it's like well who's being honest here is it like that actually what happened or is this is vince trying to deflect heat from him and it's put hard it on to tell with vince it's hard to tell so i don't know so maybe in like a week or so we can kind of get more information yeah i think it, that that one might take a while though and it depends on it's going to depend on who has someone close to the source or if sasha banks or naomi is willing to talk to one of them yeah this is uh, the other thing that was weird that I'm waiting to hear on is Alvarez said I've talked to people who are on the roster and they're not they're not saying anything about Naomi but Sasha's not getting a lot of sympathy and I'm like okay this is weird enough that it, it feels like we don't actually have an idea of going on what what's going on so we thought it'd be good if we wait until there's more complete picture before we start trying right. to Sasha's strikes me as is bristly like from anything i've really heard her talk about like i think she's just a like i think she's a professional i think she's good at her job but i also think like she strikes me as one of those people that's just a little gruff and probably is not like the bestest person to deal with like it's just i think it's just her that i bet that's why she's not getting sympathy i've wondered since this broke if this is just sasha being sick of uh, well remember she walked out like a couple years ago too yeah and she was gone for a while and if this is i've wondered if if this is i am so sick of dealing with you guys and how you do things that i i just can't take this anymore it's like you know uh I could kind of I could see that, but again, we don't know. What's well, gonna be miserable like, for her though? Because remember, Bailey's been out for a year because they put her through that needless training session where she like blew out her leg. Yeah, and, like that seems like that's Sasha's buddy. Yeah, yeah. I, people need to bear in mind for those who are like, well, no, Sasha's just difficult, or that's her attitude. It's like if things aren't favored for her that she just does this it's like well you have to also appreciate this context that in the last like year i really i feel like the last six months that i can think of off the top of my head there's at least two people that were basically like screw this i'm gonna go i'm leaving one being jeff hardy who's now with aew the other person being like tony storm who's with aew tony storm is like no like it's clear you have nothing positive for me i went out and, and both of them like left, and they both of them got their releases. You know, and there have been more people wanting to leave that have not yeah. been released. And we've we've oh, talked they, about it briefly on the podcast with saying she's difficult to work with. Um, 
most top stars, like the quality of like being a successful top star is also you have to be a little bit selfish and difficult to yeah. deal with because you have to protect yourself to be mm-hmm. a top talent. It's yeah, protecting yourself is is really important. But as this comes out, uh, as more information, more verified information comes out, we'll dig into it more then. But yeah, we, might, we did want to acknowledge that it happened. We might have mm-hmm. some talk about it next week, depending. Yeah. I think this one might take a bit, like, because it took. I mean, the Cody stuff hasn't totally unrolled yet, but like. So Wade Keller was surprisingly accurate on that. The more info we've gotten. Yeah. He was pretty dead on, like I'd say about 90%, but like even that we haven't gotten everything yet. Yeah. We're I'm, I'm waiting for, we, there's just enough that's in question that, you know, we're kind of waiting on. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll ever know on that one though. It's it's strange enough, but yeah. anyway, I think that'll do it for this week. We want to say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for the uh, Brad Armstrong Variety Show episode, I guess. But um, say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us. And this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>